inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Good Monday morning. You are listening to Outlook on Radio Western 94.9 CHRW. And uh, we have a very exciting episode of the show today. Yeah, we're um, doing another pre-record episode here from home. And I'm in, in my apartment, Carrie's in Woodstock, and our special guest is across the pond. <laughs> yeah. Say hello, guest. H- hello, pretty big pond. Yeah, so we have we have uh, Barry Toner here on the show. He's been on our show once before, on our very second episode, uh, quite a while ago now. Was that the second episode? Was it? I think so. Wow, I believe so. It okay. sounds weird to say very second episode, though. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that, but it's hard to believe that we're actually live on in recording this because sometimes we just have a conversation as friends. But anyway, today we're talking about travel and. I know that's a you know a difficult subject to talk about these days because travel as we know it in our lifetimes or our parents' lifetimes has been halted because of the virus, the coronavirus. Yeah, and even travel uh, between cities. Normally, Carrie and I could at least be in the same room, so we'd only have Barry on the on uh, WhatsApp here. But today we oh, have we're, both. We're, we're social distancing to the extreme here. Yeah, we really <laughs> yeah. are. But we're making it work but the I best still... we can. So. Yeah, yeah. for some reason it's harder to time out when you speak than, than when we're in studio, apparently. But anyway, we'll try our best. Uh, but we wanted to talk about uh, travel, and we, uh, our friend Barry here had just gone on a trip right before things were erupting, um, flights being shut down and things. So we wanted to talk to him about his travels and to get everybody's mind off all that's going on for a little while. Yeah, so the company so, is called Travelize, and we've mentioned them yeah. briefly on the show before, right, Carrie? Yeah, uh, most people haven't heard of it, um, um, but the website is travelize-international.com, and it is a travel company that brings sighted and blind travelers together um, on unique trips that in- involve all all the senses, um, which make it more adapted to adapted for blind travelers. Um, but yeah, Barry can tell us more about it. Um, but yeah, check it out when you get a chance. Um, so Barry, you were traveling and you, you've traveled with them before, right? I have. Yeah. Okay. I've traveled with them. Oh God. I'm going to have that. Uh, I think that was my fifth trip with them. Wow. Uh, yeah. So I've done, what did I do with them? The first one was Peru. It was in 2013. Uh, Then I did um, Mexico with them. Uh, Then I did the north of India, the Golden Triangle. Then I did Belgium. And yeah, this trip was my fifth one. Can we say where to? Uh, Yeah, go ahead. So, (laughs) yeah, the fifth, I don't know if it was going to be like a big reveal or something. But uh, yeah, the trip was to Vietnam. We, we don't have a drum roll sound effect, so uh. just let you go ahead with it. 
So you traveled uh, yeah. all the way from from Ireland, where you where you live, to Vietnam, yeah. and that uh, must have been quite so, the. Oh yeah, it was a long old trip, man. It was. It was uh, from Belfast. I got a flight at like seven o'clock in the morning my time, so I was up at like four in the morning my time. Flew over to London Heathrow, got there about nine o'clock. Uh, then I had a couple of hours to kill before meeting the rest of the group, and we flew from Heathrow to uh, Dubai, Dubai to Hanoi, which is up in the, nor- the north of Vietnam. So, like, I don't know. I, I have no idea how long I was traveling for, but I know my flight from Belfast to Heathrow was an hour, excuse me, an hour and twenty minutes. Uh, then had like a four-hour layover, and then I had a seven-hour flight, then a three-hour layover, then a six-hour flight. Wow! All, all to get to Vietnam. Yeah, I'm glad I wasn't walking us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I saw on their website that they do trips as big as that, but they also do something called city city trips or. Uh, would it be city tours, maybe? City tours. So have, you've never done one like that? I did. Yes, that was whenever I went to uh, Belgium. I did that there. I did a trip to Brussels, and we spent four days in, in Brussels. So they're, they're generally shorter holidays, um, and obviously they're going to be a lot less expensive than, say, a big trip to Vietnam, which is typically like a two-week trip. Um, so I think, it, and it's probably also quite quite a good trip for people who have never traveled with either this company or on a group holiday experience before because they sort of jump straight into a two-week to Vietnam. Although some people do it, two people did it on our trip. It's a big it's a big leap of faith, you know, to go all that way with people you don't know. Yeah, I imagine so. Um, so, but yeah, because the company's based in England, so what's considered a local trip? Some is not for others, obviously. Yeah, well, they do do trips around England and even over to here, over to Belfast and over to Dublin. And yeah, the the company's based in the north of England in Leeds. So we kind of t- so- we touched on it a little bit when we were talking. We introduced Travelize, but maybe just a quick summary of how how this company works and how it does incorporate the blind and sighted together to make for okay. Yeah, yeah, trip. sure. So Travelize was set up, I believe, in 2010 um, by a, a visually impaired gentleman called Amar something or other. I can't remember. <laughs> I have no Latif. idea. Latif? Latif? Latif, yes, it's something like that. Uh, he's he's Pakistani, and um, he if, if he's not totally blind, he would certainly be very, very, very low vision. Um, but he set the company up back then because he, he wanted, not only for himself, but then for other uh, blind and visually impaired people, to be able to get, quote-unquote, experience holidays. You know, like I've, I, I remember whenever I was last on the show, I talked about my reasonably extensive traveling, um, in particular to North America. But when you're trying to go to another country and you want to make the most of your trip and do all the touristy stuff and travel around a bit. It's extremely, it's not impossible, but it's extremely difficult if you're totally blind. Um, and I would argue it probably would end up being a much more stressful holiday than 
actually enjoying yourselves and, and relaxing. So he set the company up, and the way the basic model works is any sighted person, you don't have to be specially trained in how to guide blind people, you don't even need to have met a blind person before, but any sighted person and any visually impaired or blind person can uh, go onto the website, browse through their catalogue avail- of available holidays, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, on the trip, each blind person is assigned a person who sort of meets you in the morning at your hotel, uh, brings you down to breakfast, all that kind of stuff. And um, the the other great thing is for the sighted people, they get roughly a 50% discount on their holiday um, with the understanding that during the trip, because all these trips are all itinerized out, you know, they're sort of package holiday type group activities, so you're all going to the same place anyway. So the idea is that you'll, uh, you know, that you'll guide a blind person when you're on the trip. But and I always have to stress this: you are strictly you're not there as the person's carer. So you're not so you're not there to help them cut up their food. I, I'm not you know I'm not demigrating these activities, but I'm just saying this business model. You're literally just providing an arm and a pair of eyes. Um, so one of the great examples uh, we would give would be, say you're on a bus, you're on a coach trip, you're going through rural Vietnam, and you come, you see something out the window that makes you just go, "Oh wow!" So you might say to your blind companion for the day, "Oh, that you know, this is happening over there, or there's loads of rice fields, kind of thing." Um, so yeah, I mean that's. The basic concept behind the uh, the trips. The trips are don't get me wrong. They're they're not uh, they're not inexpensive. They're <laughs> not like this trip cost me about two thousand six hundred pounds. But again, to me, a lot of the trips are bucket uh, list type things. You know, I'm probably not going to go back to Vietnam again. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also really interesting how you point out that they they pair you with a different sighted sighted guide each day. <clears throat> And absolutely yes so you are you're prepared each morning you all meet down at the lobby at a set period of time and uh you will you'll be paired up with whoever the sighted person is going to be that day and that's great because it gets you to meet different people and then just human beings being human beings sometimes personalities conflict and so you mightn't have liked the person that you were with on monday and they mightn't have liked you like you you know, you just didn't get up, get along together. So you're not stuck with the same person um, from the, the sighted person's point of view or the blind person's point of view. Neither of you are stuck with the same person for two weeks. Yeah, so it would help you meet more people that you might not get as much time to talk to either otherwise and to have an interesting bond and connection with that person for that yeah. day. And it's really funny, Kay, because towards the end of the trip, you're starting to sort of tell, you know, because everyone wants to know each other's life stories, and where are you from, what do you work as, and all this kind of stuff. And I do definitely find the last sort of three or four days of a two-week trip, you're sort of going, stop me if I told you this before. You've no idea who you spoke to before. And <laughs> yeah. It, yeah all gets a bit, it all gets a bit muddled up, so it does. But it, they're incredible trips, and, like, everyone, again, can't always get along together, but... Like this particular last trip, I honestly goodness, we came back and we basically formed like a little virtual family. We all just got on so well. I mean, I have a, a WhatsApp group oh. where we all still talk to each other every day. So we do since we've been home from Vietnam. Um, so, 
you know, and there's, there's, there's been people on these trips that have met and uh, actually started dating and married each other, sighted and blind people and a couple of blind people as well. So, But, you know, the trips aren't singles holidays. I'm not saying that there, but it is just incredible. Because, I mean, you bear in mind, you're going away to these fantastic countries and you're all experiencing the same things. And just a wee tip for this, the sighted folks, you uh, because if you go with this holiday, you will get access to uh, areas that you wouldn't normally be allowed into because because the trips are multi-sensory. They do try and um, organise trips and say where you're going to a museum in Brussels. Uh, a lot of times they will actually lift that velvet rope and let the blind people walk behind and touch certain things. And obviously their sighted guide uh, comes in with them as well. Wow. Yeah, I would think so. I think for the sighted people, it would be an interesting experience. It, like you said, if you've never met a blind person, um, and for yeah. the blind people, the same thing. But at the same time, like like you said, blind people, sometimes a lot of them are hesitant to travel, um, but yet want to do the same kind of things anyone else would do. Like you said, to go on a package trip is nice because everything is sort of prepared and scheduled and set out there for you. And for the sighted people, um, you get to meet blind people and see, you know, we're all not so different after all. And no, that's what I always say. I, whenever I introduce myself, carrying people, I would say, look, the only thing that doesn't work is the eyes. You know, apart from that, there, everything else is fine and dandy. And it gives yeah, people so, a chance. Generally, someone might meet a blind person for the first time and then see them for a little, like half hour or whatever it may be, and then they don't see them again or see anyone who's blind for a long time. Whereas in this experience, they're around blind people day after day. So it really starts to, they probably start to forget. Like for me, even a Absolutely. lot of my friends since I've been a child, like they don't even think about the fact that I'm blind really because they're just so used to it. So it, it, it makes it, it normalizes the the disability. It, it absolutely does normalize it, Brian. And it also, I I mean, I've been on trips with other uh, sighted people on these travelized trips, like the, the one I just came back from. And, you know, there was two people there, two sighted people who had never done any of these trips before. So they just jumped in at the deep end with Vietnam. Um, and they were just like, I know it sounds really silly. And I, I hate myself for saying this. This is what they were saying to me. Like, but, you know, everyone's just different. You know, it doesn't matter whether you can see or can't see or, you know, and like, uh, I I have different skill sets to the next blind person down the table from me. You know, we're all, all just people. So it, it really is built very much on inclusivity. Yeah, but like you said, like we say, and what, what people think is if you have met a blind person, um, maybe you've only met or seen one. Uh, but at, so on this trip, you would get to travel with a whole group of them, and then you do hopefully come to realize that you know you've seen one pl blind person, you haven't seen them all. Yep, absolutely. Everyone who just tuned in or has tuned in recently, you're listening to Outlook here on Radio Western, and we are speaking today with Barry Toner, our good friend from Ireland, and his recent experience to Vietnam with the company Travelize. Yeah, thank you for being here. And uh, there's mm -hmm. so much we could probably talk about. Um, <laughs> do you want? <laughs> um, do you want to talk about um, what me. what you some of the things you you did? And I don't know, pick your favorite if that's possible. So just oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it's weird, Carrie, because I I absolutely can remember it, but 
I guess you know there's been a lot that's went on in the world since yeah, I came you got back. back the, you got back how long ago? I got back on the twentieth of March, and I went out on the seventh of March. Yeah, so just under two weeks. Um, yeah, and in some ways it seems like it was sixty years ago, <laughs> but <laughs> right into isolation. I, just yeah, I mean, I was a, it's a totally different world I've, I've come back to here. So it is, it's it's very surreal as it is for everyone. Um, but yeah, so. The trip was, we started off up in the north of Vietnam, so we landed in a city called Hanoi, and um, when we first got in, I think we got in the afternoon into our hotel, and we just all basically just hung around the hotel and tried to make sure nobody fell asleep and stuff. We were trying to wake each other up and going, no, 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 hold on to tonight because you don't want to get the jet lag and all that kind of stuff. Um... But yeah, a couple of a couple of things that I really noticed straight away about Hanoi was every nobody drives cars or trucks or lorries through the city. It's all mopeds. Really? And the incredible thing about it is well, there's no traffic lights. You just walk out and the mopeds just swerve past you. <laughs> and it's a totally different it's a weird sense of road yeah, i'm not sure how etiquette. accessible that would be for for blind people traveling it, it's it it's accessible and it's not brand it's accessible because the people aren't going that fast believe it or not on their mopeds uh, and they're constantly beeping their horns to let people know they're coming so it sounds really chaotic um but their job is to swerve around you not for you to jump out of the way of them. So, <coughs> excuse me. The way they work it is, you get to the um, you get to the, the street side, and you just walk out. It doesn't matter if there's a moped right in front of you, and you just walk steadily at the same pace from one side of the road to the other, and all these uh, mopeds just swerve around you. So it's accessible from the point of view that you could just go and do it as a blind person with a dog or a cane, but they don't recognize a long cane or a guide dog in Vietnam hmm. because blind people there just it's a it's it's not our western culture that we're used to you know Vietnam I would describe to people it's like another planet you know their their whole system is built around confucianism you know the the philosopher confucius uh, I've heard of them, but I'm not all yeah. that familiar. Yeah, so like they don't, I mean, they don't even work on the same calendar as us. They don't talk about January and February and March. Okay. You know, they huh. they use, uh, <clears throat> what's the, the other calendar? What, what are the calendars? I don't know. Linear and, linear and Gregorian, I think. But they, they like, their, their stuff is very much like the Chinese. You know, you've got the year of the cat year of the snake all that kind of stuff um but yes out there blind people just we we found out very quickly uh, from one of our first tour guides that uh blind people just basically stay at home right they, they don't they yeah, don't have jobs that's the case uh, um in a lot of countries yeah sure. mexico and, i was in mexico yeah. it was the same thing mm -hmm. they're just they're kind of hidden behind the scenes and it, but it's strange that this white cane that we all universally think about and accept as yeah. the universal symbol of blindness, that the person might be blind, um, they just, 
the the ones on the motorbikes just weren't even given us a second look. Apparently, it was just like the stick just wasn't there. Nobody on the trip had a guide dog, did they? No, no. Is it you harder wouldn't. to bring a guide dog? Yeah, I would imagine you'd never you'd never yeah. get a dog through customs and all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's so hard for us to imagine the different culture and like so far, like all the way on the other side of the world like that and Yeah, and that's the thing, but it, it's kinda like whenever I was in India Carrie, like it's chaotic but it, it's organized chaos. <laughs> you know, it just it works and that's what I, I kept saying to different people on our trip now, just going like we all think in this so called first world because Vietnam is still a developing country. Um, but we all think in the West that we, we've got it all figured out. You know, we, we all know what we're doing. And then you go out there and see things like, um, you know, a, a lot of Vietnamese people would traditionally be uh, very superstitious. So they still believe, you know, things like that um, if they give birth to a baby, uh, then you can't, like, you would never be thanked if you went to a Vietnamese person and said, oh, that's a lovely baby. They actually mm. want you to say, that's an ugly baby, or what a fat, disgusting baby. What? Yes. <laughs> because Sorry for my exclamation, be- but... Yeah, yeah because they believe that demons will come. And this isn't like, uh, this, this is our, our actual, uh, you know, our, our first tour guide in Hanoi was explaining this to us, uh, a gentleman called Dat. D.A.T. He was explaining this, you know, that in their culture, they uh, the the mothers believe that you know demons can come and steal, or else like evil something or other will come and steal their children. Right. But if if they hear that the child is ugly or not good looking or something's horrible about them, then uh, then oh, come so and it's get like them. yell, it's like yelling bad harvest. I heard that <laughs> actually on Downton Abbey. Yes, yes, it would be like kind of like that there. Um, you so don't want the gods to get angry and, and ruin your harvest, so you yell bad harvest to appease them. Yes. So immediately uh, being thrown into this uh, country of just uh, just everything's, you know, from, from our point of view on its own, it's head. It's upside down kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> and I would say, from a blind person's perspective, the first thing I noticed, of course, was the heat uh, right. and just this noise. I mean those those mopeds. I I can't tell you just how close they got. I mean, I felt the heat from one of their exhausts as it drove past me. Huh. You know, on the back of my legs because it was thirty seven degrees Celsius on the eighth of March. Oh. <laughs> uh, yes, with because that's it's uh, March and uh, uh, that's still within their dry season. So I got to ask, did you happen to come across anybody with a baby? Did you happen to tell anybody they had a really ugly baby? I didn't, know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you but may never get that opportunity again. Yeah, apparently, same. When, when you do, the mothers actually look at you, nod and smile. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's good to talk about um, the cultural differences. So as a history buff, uh, I know Vietnam mostly from the only the perspective of the Vietnam War years. And I yes. barely understand that time period. Um, uh, so, yeah, I don't know much about Vietnam, but it sounds like a fascinating place. So just to talk about as far as your senses being there um, is a good thing, I think. Well, <coughs> Vietnam, 
because we we travelled through different places in Vietnam. Actually, the first thing I'll say is uh, the the quote unquote Vietnam War. They do talk about it. They're not mm-hmm. sensitive about it. They talk about it very openly in Vietnam, but they don't call it the Vietnam War. Right. They call it the American War or just right. the war. Right. Yeah. They do. Um. <clears throat> But, yeah, the Vietnamese people, um, we learned on the trip, they've basically been invaded by, if not one country, another country. You know, Everyone, before, yeah. Yeah, France uh, occupied Vietnam for quite a, a while. Um, that's why one of the country's official languages is French. So they do speak mm-hmm. Vietnamese, and most people speak Vietnamese and French. Um, so a lot of their cooking, while it's uh, because they're on the, the China Sea in Vietnam, um, their cooking has Chinese and sort of Asian influences, but also some French influences as well. Um, I've lost my train of thought. Well, that would be handy if, 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 as a Canadian, I actually knew, was fluent in French as my the second language, uh, then going there would be easier. Because uh, you you don't speak French or no, you don't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. In actual fact, that's what I kept telling our tour guides. Because some of them, the the local tour guides, they were you know paranoid about their their uh, English skills, and mm-hmm. I just kept saying, hey, "That in my Vietnamese," you know. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess one of do you, do you want me to tell you a couple of my sort of highlights or favorite things from the trip? Of course, yeah. Um, so one would be, I think it was on the fourth day when we were there, we travelled out to, um, when we left Hanoi, we travelled to a place called Hallam Bay, and Hallam Bay is on the world, uh, like, you know, the, like a world heritage site list type thing, is a, a protected place in the world. Um, <clears throat> so you can't develop there, you can't wreck it or anything like that there. Uh, and it's this huge, well, it's a, a bay, so it's a huge body of water. And whenever we got off our coach, we were guided down to um, what I thought we were getting onto our cruise ship. But it actually turned out to be, a, they call it a tender, which is like a little boat that uh, takes you over to your cruise ship. Mm-hmm. So then we, uh, we boarded the cruise ship and taken to our, our rooms because we were actually going to spend the night on the boat on the, the cruise ship in Hallam Bay so I got into my room and had a bit of a look around and then I found I had this lovely little balcony uh, in my room so I was able to go out and sit there there was a table and chairs and I just sat there listening to the water gurgling and because we were on the bay Carrie, the breeze was really nice so it, it kept you nice and cool it was probably about 27, 28 degrees there Oh I love balconies uh, Oh, that was uh, that was beautiful. I mean, I I would get up and I got up the following morning and just sat out there for about half an hour on my own, just so peaceful and just listening to the water gurgle. Um, and on on this boat, we got to do different activities. So some people got up at six a.m. to watch the sunrise on the the top deck of the boat while doing tai chi. Hmm. Um, I did some kayaking off the boat whenever I was there. Uh, so I, I did I had kayaked with a lady from Los Angeles, Barbara. She was at the front of the boat and I was 
Um, it, it's a, it sounds funny, like because I'm blind, but I was staring at the back. Um, but all she would say was like left or right. Um, so uh, I would know what temp, what uh, direction to turn us. Um, on that trip as well, it was just. The food, the food really stands out for me. Yeah, I'm going to get the food. I did want to talk about that. Um, that was one of the topics I was thinking of when you t- mentioned earlier about the cooking there. Um, yeah. We are, because, we are approaching the, the half hour or the halfway point. All right, no problem. Of the show. If you want, I can move on to food. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm going to take, uh, we're going to take a little break here and listen to a few promos. We're speaking with Barry Toner here uh, about his recent trip to Vietnam through Travelize and when we come back after these ads, we will be talking about food in Vietnam. Stay tuned. Welcome back. You are listening to Outlook here on 94.9 CHRW Radio Western, and we are speaking with our guest, Barry Toner from Ireland, on his recent experience through a company called Travelize to Vietnam. And we were going to pick things up with food in this very interesting country that I know nothing about and I'm learning a lot here today. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, food is to a certain extent, I think probably what a lot of people might expect if they were visiting, say, China. Not Um, Carrie. Carrie said she doesn't think about food with countries. Didn't you say that, Carrie? Well, it's not my my main interest when I travel. Um, Of course, I like food, but yeah. But I'd like to hear about it. Oh yeah, because I'm so picky. Sorry, it's <laughs> it's one of it's definitely one of I'm definitely a big foodie, so I am. So it was one of the big things that attracted me to Vietnam because <clears throat> they do cook a lot with uh, ginger and garlic mm. and onions and uh, most dishes. Yeah, I mean you're. you're I'm not going to say. I mean, there are McDonald's and stuff like because there's McDonald's and other Burger King and sorry, I'm just you said they're different there, for right? these companies. Uh, yes, so they will uh, they will sell noodles and and a lot of places instead of French fries. Wow, and uh, noodles are very much the, the staple. Uh, I would say for the bulk noodles and rice are the staples those guys as opposed to potatoes that we're very much used to in the west um of course ireland yeah oh yes and actually there's a wee thing i just found out the other day you know there's actually more vitamin c in a potato than there is in an orange i didn't know that fun fact yeah just apparently (laughs) it's to do with the way you cook it um but anyway (laughs) yeah so they they wouldn't really have a, a lot of potato dishes or anything like that there um there are two classic dishes, I guess, that Vietnam's known for is one called uh, ban mi, which is sort of pronounced like ban, B-A-N, space M-E, so ban mi. And a ban mi is an open, <clears throat> it's an open sort of sandwich. It's made out of a, like a French crusty long roll, and it's got various dressings and salads and things on it. And that will typically come with pork that has been like a pork steak that's been seasoned with um, uh, five spice seasoning. So it'll have like garlic and basil and uh, I don't know, different Chinese herbs and things like that there. Um, Their other dish is called pha, 
I believe that's spelled F-A-H, and it is a noodle soup. You're basically served a bowl which has a broth in it and some noodles. And then on the side, they will give you separate plates with pre-cooked meats and salads and veggies that you can add to your soup while you're eating it. Mm. Wow, that's okay. funny. It's, it makes me think about food. Uh, like our father, like I say I'm picky, but our father, um, anybody who's new to listening to Outlook, Brian and I are um, brother and sister, and our father is very, known to be very picky. So traveling in places like Vietnam is not exactly high on his list for that reason. But um, you got to broaden your eyes. It sounds actually pretty good. Yeah, it sounds good to me. Yeah. I love that, that type of food, Asian food and the stuff that I've had before, but I've never... You know, I know it's different one, in those countries than here, the stuff we would get, obviously. One brilliant experience, Brian Carey, uh, to do out there is, well, um, well, we had a couple of cooking classes, so we learned how to make uh, spring rolls. Oh, nice. And we, uh, we also learned how to cook, um, it's a Vietnamese pancake <laughs> that you sort of turn it up into like a, a spring roll type thing. And you have to frombe it, so there was flames flying out. And it was amazing because, you know, they, they had uh, us blind people. We were up, you know, using the frying pans and fl- uh, frombing meats, making the big flames fly out because of all the oil in it and stuff. It's, it's very, very inclusive. And, you know, as soon as the, uh, there was any volunteers for the cookery lessons being asked for, it was always the blind people. We all had our hands up first. We're like, yep, go on, let's go. Uh, you tended to find a lot of the sighted people were really hesitant and they were, oh, I don't know, but the blind people just, yeah, well, we can't see what's going on, so just throw yourself in. Um, but one of the amazing things that we got to do at surrounding food when we were there was, as you walk around cities like uh, Hanoi and Wei and um, Hue and Ho Chi Minh and things like that there, uh, you have a lot of street cafes that have um, sort of patio plastic furniture, but they're really low down because Vietnamese people are traditionally not the tallest people in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was speaking to a Vietnamese lady out there and she was four foot four. So uh-huh. she was, yeah, now, I mean, I'd say generally speaking, a lot of the guys, the men would be like five foot, five foot one. Um, but. So these little low patio seats, and what you do is you pull up a seat, and then the people come out of the restaurant or cafe, and they'll give you menus, and then while you're reading the menus, they light a uh, basically a big skillet in the middle of the table in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> you order your food, and then they come out with the raw meat and fish and vegetables and stuff, and you cook your own food. At the table, they provide you with the oil and various sauces, soy sauce, um, fish sauce, this kind of thing. And it's it's wonderful. It's actually a lot of fun. And all us blind people, again, we were in there, you know, moving our own stuff around and making our own meals. Um, but it's very community driven. That's, you know, and that's, I guess, the thing I got from Vietnam as well. That, that meal experience, I think, demonstrated um, you know, uh, Vietnam is a socialist republic. It is a communist country. And again, I guess probably in the West, where we're also used to democracy, um, and it's a different political system out there. But I saw there was a lot of community things, um, like cooking outside with your friends, like that there, 
or your family members. Um, we did see a couple of families that just turn up and they're they're just cooking together and having a laugh and just right out on the streets. And when I say the street, there was no surround. It wasn't like what you get in Canada, patios where you'll have it, it separated off to somewhere. You are, people are literally walking past your back and mopeds are kicking up their exhaust. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to see some of these places, their food hygiene ratings. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, so one thing I'm learning is that I would fit in pretty nicely in Vietnam. Cause, you know, I'd probably be considered tall there. Yes, you would. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You'd probably consider quite a tall lady. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so it wasn't like one of those trips where you don't meet, you don't interact with any locals. You you got to talk to a lot of obviously your tour guides um, for the groups and. Now, one interesting thing how you mentioned that most of the blind people there aren't out in the community or probably keep to themselves a lot of the time. Did you get a lot mm-hmm. of reaction from from locals around there being being blind and being out in in the public like that? <laughs> yes. Um, so a, a mixture of wonderment, um, in particular one of the hotels, it was actually in Saigon. It was pointed out to us that the doormen at the hotel were just fascinated because they were looking over and they could see uh, us blind people using our iPhones. And some people like me use them with the headphones in so that people can't hear the speech talking to me. Nice. Uh, other people had it just speaking out loud, so the doormen were immediately attracted to this noise. And apparently, you could just uh, this our sighted uh, companions were explaining this that their eyes were just wide. You know, it's like they're blind and they're using an iPhone. They, you know, it's incredible. A lot of people don't know that the technology is built into everyday devices. And I mean, that's common even, even even here in western culture and stuff people yep. are so surprised by it so i can only imagine there where it's even more it's even less talked about that it, it very much is so we, we had that extreme brand where they were almost sort of looking in wonderment and admiring to uh when part of the trip we went to just outside ho chi Minh, a place called the coochie tunnels and the, the coochie tunnels is another world heritage site um it is where during the Vietnam War, the Viet Cong would essentially, they actually made an underground tunnel network for themselves and they were really, really clever. um, A lot of it was hollowed out and then they would use like bamboo sticks that poked up out of the ground that provided ventilation for down there. Um, It went like, I think it went down like 10 levels and they could cook under the ground and all this kind of stuff. And they would they would make bamboo chimneys, but they would make make sure that the smoke coming out of that chimney was quite a distance away from where they actually were, so the smoke was travelling along under the ground. So the reason I bring that up, uh, not only is it it is re- a really cool and really interesting place to go to, um, but there is an opportunity. They've actually widened one of the tunnels out for Westerners. Because, again, the Vietnamese are very, very small. They're very slight people, very light made up people. Um, You know, up until the invasion of Western food, the Vietnamese diet was considered one of the, they're just their general bog standard day-to-day diet was considered one of the healthiest in the world until Mm -hmm. we started bringing processed cheese and stuff in. Um, So anyway, we go to this tunnel and myself and two other gentlemen who were blind on the trip 
we were like, yeah, yeah, we want to get into the tunnel and see what it's like and, uh, you know, see what these guys had to go through. And uh, one of the guys who actually ran or ma- helped to manage that site, a Vietnamese guy, was like, no, 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 can't, can't, you know, because you're blind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're starting there scratching our heads going, yeah, but the Viet Cong were doing this in the dark as well because it wasn't like they had fluorescent lighting to, to light up their way <laughs> under these tunnels right all right so uh and we're pretty much professionals at this in the dark thing being blind uh so lucky enough to travel eyes uh to a rep then he stepped in and started to explain to the vietnamese guy no these guys are absolutely fine then the local tour guide a vietnamese lady who was showing us around the site she stepped in and she started arguing with this guy, both of them going back and forward in Vietnamese. And the upshot of it, of course, was that we, we got to go through the tunnel. Um, wow. Which was incredible because you you literally did. When you got in, you uh, either crouched down. There was no way. You, it'd physically be impossible to stand up or you would slide along on your uh, your rear end. And uh, you had to use your hands to explore and find there was parts where you had to drop down maybe three or four feet. Mm-hmm. And then you'd, you'd make your way. Through. It was like, like a rat's maze. It was, it was an incredible, incredible thing. Yeah, I think even as, uh, as being claustrophobic a bit as I am, I would still, if I were there, I would have to check it out at least. Yeah, and it's not the first. There's a couple of different ones you can do, Carrie. That shortest one we did... I think it was maybe 20 meters, something like that in length. It, w- it wasn't that long, but it gave you, it gave you enough, of, enough of an idea. Like if you imagine you're in this tunnel and there were uh, soldiers up above looking for you and looking for the entrances to these tunnels. And, oh. you know, if you were discovered, the, the pressure um, that was... Uh, these people must have been under would have been incredible on both sides, you know, on both sides of it. We right. say war has no winners. Nope. No. Well, glad you were there during peace, peace time. Uh, the thing I hear about um, places like Vietnam is the the rice fields. Did you get to sort of explore what that is like instead of other than just driving by it out the window or not really? Um, we did get to, there was a, a village that we were walking through and we got to see some rice fields um, as much as you can see without wearing Wellington boots because the rice fields are actually, they all sit on water. Yeah, they call them like rice paddies or something, don't they? Right. That's right, yeah. yes. So, see, we'd actually have to step in and, and get like your feet swampy. wet. Yeah. It is very, it's very swampy. It's not quite swampy. a bog. But... <laughs> no. Um, so we we got to like approach it, you know, from the edge of the road. Uh, I, I mean, there wouldn't have been an issue walking in. It was just... It was, again, you know, in the mid-30s degree temperature, so a lot of us were wearing sandals and stuff and didn't really <laughs> want to walk in to, to that there. Because the other thing about the rice paddies, uh, unless you know what you're doing, uh, there's snakes in them and they're venomous snakes. Oh, they're wow. yeah. like water pythons and things like that there. So uh, you don't really want to just go thrashing around. Um, but it, it was funny because the rice paddies, it, to me, it just felt like grass, you know, like the grass you have in your back garden, only drier and thinner and longer. But mm. that's, you know, it it certainly didn't feel like the hard rice that you yeah. get before you cook it. That's so fascinating. The fluffy it's, rice. it's definitely up there, like one of my favorite foods. And I don't think about mm. it that much about yeah. how it's how it's processed and grown and, and all of that. So 
Well, see, and, and in Canada there, Brian, they actually get, they they grow a lot of fresh fruit and vegetables and things. So, um, because the, the, the temperature is just ripe for it, so it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I remember we were somewhere out there and I ordered a coconut water and it literally, they served me a coconut with the lid cut off and a straw on the top. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, that that is, that's fresh coconut water. Mm. You know, that's not coming out of a plastic bottle in a supermarket. That was probably I was probably on a tree that morning, so it was right. And you can definitely tell. I mean, even like the pineapple and things. Uh-huh. I, re- I remember when I bit into the pineapple, each bite I would say would probably would have given you as much juice as an entire ring of our pineapple. What about mango? Do they have any of that? Mm-hmm. There? Lots of mango, lots of passion uh-huh. fruit, and sounds, strawberries. Sounds what else, what other sort of moments stand out or experiences that you had, other than the food, of course? Um, <clears throat> we visited the uh, the war museum on the, the last day, uh, sorry, the second to last day in Vietnam. And, I mean, obviously, most people are at least aware on, on some level about the Vietnam War. Um, and... I've never, I've never truly, how do you put it? it? It's hard to find the words. It, it was a very profound moment. So it was because I remember we entered the the gates to the museum, and they they have things outside the building for you to look up before you go in. And you know, it was there was helicopters, like actual you know, from the Vietnam War, uh, helicopters and things that hadn't been destroyed, um, American troop carrier helicopters, tanks, some tanks that had been destroyed. Uh, they were all sort of sitting stationary and you could go up and touch them. Um, and that was, you know, I must be honest with you, I completely went into little boy mode playing with toy soldiers <laughs> on that point. As did the other men that were there. Did you play with uh, those they, as a kid? Yeah, toy soldiers and tanks and things like that. There, and we were all like, "Oh, this is so cool!" And blah, blah. and then, in the space of an hour, I had entered the museum, and I'd learned about what had went on and the, the atrocities and things that were committed on both sides and. And I came back out the door and I had to ask people just to leave me alone for 15 minutes um, because it was just horrendous. And it's one of those things we've, we've all learned a little, like a lot about in school and stuff, but to actually be in Vietnam and experiencing the museum in, in real time, having a bit of an idea of being there would really have a, even a stronger effect. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I find myself, Brian, I came out and I actually said to the local Vietnamese tour guide um, that was with us for that particular trip, I, I, I bowed to her. Um, the, the Vietnamese bow the same way that the Chinese and Japanese would bow, with your two hands pressed together and bowing from the waist, bringing your head down. It's a sign of respect. Um, I bowed to her and I said, I'm, I'm very sorry for what your country went through. Um, we were all pretty caught up. <laughs> I must say it was... But I think it's good. I think it's good to be caught up and it's good to look at these things. And, you know, and I don't want to like a, a sort of end, end your show here on a, a big diner, but <laughs> I think it's, 
It's okay. It's the okay. coronavirus will do that. Right. Yeah, yeah. But it's one of those moments in life where you, you sort of just, I think if, if you're a halfway decent person, you should look at that stuff and take a step back and you'd start going, why? We're all just people, you know, mm-hmm. and just and just be that bit nicer to people. Um, that's Which I think is an important, I think that's an important thing to, to, to be reminded of during a time like we're going through now. The mm-hmm. whole planet's going through. Yeah, so we're... Well, that's the thing. We're, we're finishing up here a lot. Well, we still have about 10 minutes left in today's show. And just for anyone who's recently tuned in, we're speaking with Barry Toner from Ireland about his recent trip through an amazing company called Travelize to Vietnam. Yeah, and as, as you were saying there, Kerry, about the, the coronavirus or, or COVID-19, that actually had started just before we left. Yeah, it's Vietnam. interesting. I remember I remember sending sending Barry a message right before he left, kind of saying, is this... Is your trip still on? And I don't even okay? know, I don't even know if you responded because I think you were in the midst of about to about to leave and uh, probably was. Mode. Yeah, I mean, the, the, certainly the last week leading up to the the trip, um, I was in contact with the company Travelize, and and they were very good as well. Uh, the local, or sorry, the the tour rep who flew out from the company, the Travelize uh, to Vietnam with his. He made contact with us all and said, look, you know, we're following the World Health uh, Organization guidelines and also the Foreign Office advice in, in England. Um, it would be, and, and also Ireland for Irish and British citizens, uh, that would advise you on whether or not you should be traveling and this kind of stuff. And the one thing, guys, I must say, having been in Vietnam and... I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to make this all political and start criticizing countries or anything like that for the response to this awful tragedy. Um, but I will say the Vietnamese were on the ball from day one. They, they That's had what it. I hear. Yeah. When we left on the, the 20th, or sorry, the ninth, we actually left on the 19th of March. Vietnam, the entire country, 93 plus million people. There was only 20 cases of the virus and no deaths. Wow. Um, everyone was wearing face masks. Uh, towards the end of our trip, it got to the point where it was mandatory, like to, to not wear a face mask when out in public. You had to wear face masks on internal and external flights, mm-hmm. uh, going through the airport. Um, in actual fact, if you weren't wearing a face mask, you would have felt more self-conscious. Right. Um, and we did. We actually tried to get home earlier from Vietnam because we during my time out there. The foreign office actually had put a, a call out for all citizens to come home. Right. And um, we we just couldn't get a trip. We, we're sorry, we couldn't get a flight. We were looking at a flight at last minute for 14 people. Um, and we tried for several days. And we ended up, we came back on the day. We were meant to come back anyway. So how many people did you say again were in your group then? There was 14, including the, the guy from Travel Eyes, our, okay. our tour rep. Yeah, I didn't know if the guy in charge of the group doesn't obviously go on every trip now that his company does oh, a year. But. Armar, the, oh, the guy that runs the company. Um, yeah. No, I believe actually he he's on some of the holidays, but not as many as he used to be. Um, I guess, well, he's got a staff of uh, tour reps that he sends out, and mm-hmm. he's probably been to most of the places around the world now he wants to go to. And I know he's he's also concentrating on... He's getting quite a bit of media coverage over here lately on the BBC uh, television channels. Right, I see that, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like such No, I think that would be an interesting job to have. I 
um, I think it would be cool to start something like that over here in North America, just because it is a UK sort of centered business and, you know, anybody, as they say, can do it. And Brian and I both would like to try it someday. Hopefully when all this clears up, obviously. The great thing is it's a very flexible system. So, you know, even if uh, you do have a free day, um, for example, one of the days I wanted to just go and get coffee and uh, do some shopping around the markets. And I I asked my side of guide, what do you want to do today? So, you know, it's all about flexibility and compromise with the person you're with. Anyway, we sort of looked at it like there's 24 hours in, in the day here. And we can do my thing in the morning or their thing and then have lunch and switch it around kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely about work. It, it's a type of holiday if you're willing to work with people. Um, right, I would really imagine you, you really shouldn't go on this trip if you're, you know, very rigid and you can't be flexible. Yeah, I mean, and now you can pay an extra supplement to get your own room. Because it is shared rooms, so you will be... Oh, really? Okay, I was going to ask that too. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, this trip wasn't too bad of a, an extra supplement for me. It was three hundred pounds, but considering I was staying in five different places, uh, that three hundred pound covered everything. So I had my own room on the ship. I had my own room in all the other hotels and all that kind of stuff. And I, that's for me. Again, I love you know. I mean, you guys know I like talking to people. I get in, I get I mix in, and but. After a long, hot day of traveling and, you know, you're being told things all day, you're touching things, you're smelling. Like, it, it's a very full-on trip. So it is, it really is sensory overload in some ways. So it is nice just to get back to my room, close the door and just go. <sighs> right. Yeah, I feel like I'd them. be the same kind of, I'm definitely more of an introvert. So I th- do yeah, think me too. this yeah. thing sounds amazing, but I think having my own room after all of that long day yeah. would be kind of nice. I guess it is, Brent, because like, I mean, I just don't want to be dealing with the whole things of like, uh, right, if you wake up in the middle of the night, I'm afraid to get up because this is, you're going to be sharing a room with somebody you've never met before. And it could be a blind person or a sighted person, whatever way they, they plan it out. And you're going, oh, can, do I get up and go to the toilet or am I going to wake them up and hopefully I don't snore and... All this uh-huh. crazy stuff will go through my head. But the other thing is, as well, is just, you know, everyone gets tired. Everyone gets fed up from time to time. And, like, sometimes, you know, like, there was times, uh, like, I didn't I didn't go out for a beer every night. I would go out every other night because I like to get back to my room, sort out my packing and my stuff and my, my day bag for the next day. And because I've done these trips, I know how to organize myself. Um but also as well, there was times I came into my room, just put my head in my pillow and scream. Oh. You know, and it wasn't because it was a really awful trip. It was just like, you're just like so relieved to be away from, it's that thing again when you can't see, but it's just yeah. information overload yeah. all day, Sense every day. Overload. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, is great. Don't get me wrong. That's the point of these it's, tours is to have it's the only way to do overload, it. but. Yeah, and it, and like, for example, traveling, hardcore traveling, like traveling over 3,000 miles in two weeks in the country. Um, yeah. If you only have two weeks to see somewhere like Vietnam, it's the way you have to do it. There's, there's people that came out with us, um, one lady, Jane, and she'd been there before, and they took six weeks to travel Vietnam. So yeah, they were able to have a... Yeah, a this is a lot, a lot packed in, so it is. Wow. All right. Well, we're winding down here. Last minute or so of the show. I don't know if there's any quick things we want to end on. I know the 
your trip. Hopefully you still enjoyed it for the most part. It sounds like you did. Oh, I didn't realize we were still recording. Sorry. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just talking away. <laughs> well, yeah, we could we could talk for hours about this if, uh, if we had more time on our show. Uh, but a little armchair travel here for everybody who's stuck at home and maybe feeling you know, stuck in the house or whatever, depending on where you're, you happen to be listening, obviously. But Yeah, this was um, a nice distraction, kind of get away and think about the rest of the world and f- happier times, I guess. Um, but I'm still glad that you were able to m- go on this trip, even though near the end it may have been a bit of a, <laughs> a bit <laughs> tough. But. Yeah, and I mean, we, we, were glad to, we were glad that you got home. We, uh, we were thinking about you out there. Yeah. And we will be able to travel again, guys, so as soon as you can. Get out there and explore the world. Open opens your mind, so it does. And yeah, and a lot of the tourism, things. a lot of tourism dollars. You know, people depend on your tourism um, oh, yeah. as Big to time. make a living. And so, of course, one day again we will. But um, yeah, it's been a pleasure having you talking to you. Always a pleasure and having you on our show today. Thanks for thank you very much for doing that. All right, yeah. thanks again, Barry, for being on the show and. Hope to, have a, ha, hope to have you on again someday. I think. Absolutely, yeah. anytime. All right. Yeah, we'll have have a good week, and we'll I think we'll be back next week. Yeah, we should be. So, stay tuned. Find us on Twitter at outlookcfb and on Facebook, facebook.com/outlookonradiowestern. on Radio Western.